<clears throat> well, good morning, good morning. I think we have enough of uh, the people present that we can be about our business. Uh, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful for your word. We're grateful to sit with it, before it, submitting ourselves, our minds to it. We'd ask that you would be um, gracious to us. In your son's name, amen. Well, as you can tell, we're in Malachi. This ought to strike fear into some of you. If you were raised in Christian environs, you know the first law of restaurant prayer. The first law of restaurant prayer is when your father bows to pray over the meal, that's when the waitress shows up. And if you're 14 years old, you are horrified that this, you might say, standard of all that is cool, the waitress, will see your family praying. Uh, the second law, like unto it, um, it's not the law of restaurant prayer. It's if you invite someone to church, and in this case, Abby inv invited Elizabeth to church, and there she sits, and the, the, Peter and Claire are here visiting, and anybody else a visitor? Pretty much other people are kind of regular. You invite somebody, and the pastor is doing his tithing sermon. Okay? It's like the Raw of Restaurant Prayer, the wrong thing done by the religious people in front of the guests that you brought. And so you're scanning the page, and you say, hold it, isn't, isn't this chapter in Malachi where it says, bring your tithes into the storehouse? He's going to do that. You know better than that. I'm a radical Anabaptist. I don't believe in the tithe. Be, be advised that I am not... Uh, going to preach a tithing sermon. I'm going to avoid the tithing concept entirely. It's going to be a placeholder for another thing that I want you to think about. But we're in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Um, in a political year, everybody's trying to tell you what's really important. This is what you should really feel strongly about. If you're a good American, you won't X. This is destroying democracy, if you do Y. And the church is no better. The church has, through centuries, millennia, insisted that the way they're doing it is the way, well, you have words for it, like orthodoxy. It's just being, basically, when you say orthodoxy, you mean my way, not yours. And they could be right. The orthodox could be correct. The Orthodox can be wrong. Some churches even name themselves the Orthodox Church. You say, well, yeah, those go with funny hats. Yeah, the funny hats. But in America, the Protestants do it by calling it the Christian Church or the Church of Christ or something like that. I am of Paul. I am of Cephas. I am of Christ. I'll get to that. So it would seem to me, all of us, we're a very few believers here, and we ought to be concerned after 2,000 years whether or not we're about the same thing that God was about when he brought Christianity into being. When he gave, gave Christianity um, 
the okay sign or the light went on and off it went. The Christ came, the atonement was made. What was he, what was he trying to do? What was the, what was the plan? In Malachi, now Malachi is one of the prophets towards the end of the Old Covenant period. Malachi 3, verse 1, at the top of the right-hand side, Behold, I send my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You know perfectly well from quotations in the New Testament, referring both to John and the Christ, John the Baptist and the Christ, that this was fulfilled a few centuries later. At that moment, a little later in the book, uh, chapter 4 of Malachi, it prophesies that Elijah will come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Jesus Christ says of John the Baptist, he is Elijah who is to come, if you're willing to accept it. So we know that this chapter of Malachi is this pre-moment, a moment of prophecy where he, God is saying what he is going to be doing with this new thing that is not yet named Christianity. It is not yet called the way. It is not yet called the followers of Jesus. The name Jesus Christ isn't known. But it tells you what God's about. I will send my messenger, and the Lord that we seek will suddenly come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, he is coming. Okay, all right, we're on board here. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? I let you know that perhaps that you're, we were talking about reading horror books, you know, and how horror books were different than horror movies. I'm not a fan of horror movies. Some people are. Some people can't imagine reading a book or going to a movie ever since I saw The Spider Returns when I was probably 10 and it undid me. It was a black and white serial movie that they showed at the YMCA, and they wouldn't let me out of the room. They grabbed me and dragged me back into the room, and the spider's shadow fell on the glass of the door as he reached for the doorknob. I was undone. Some things, we as people of God, we as the people of God, are being told by a prophet of God that the coming of the Christ is going to come in such a way that there is an endurance question. Who can, who can put up with this? Who can stand when he appears? And the reason is, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver till they present right offerings to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. 
So, what is God about with Christianity? He is telling you, the Lord that he appears, the one we're desiring with this new covenant, is designed to fix problems, slag, impurities, whatever it is that's in the people of God, that is keeping pure worship. We're told this in Romans 12, right, that do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the rule of your mind. Is that the way it goes? Something along those lines. It talks about offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. We know that God's people are looking for a path to the holy and acceptable, and we know that we need to know what that holy and acceptable is and what the process of getting at it is. We know that this is why the religion Christianity was coming. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. So he's got on one hand, he's going to purify. Purify until right religion. Judgment, if not. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers. And I made red here in the text the word against. Against, 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 against. You need to know that in the, you might say, in the measurement of what Christianity was going to be, it was not the God of mercy after the hairy thunderer of the Old Testament. The God of mercy finally got the upper hand in the polytheism that is the Trinity, and, and they would finally let the nice one get it. It's a good cop, bad cop. So the bad cop came in first, and all the law of Moses, then Jesus came in and made nice and, and offered us cookies and, and salvation. The purpose of this coming religious shift, the purpose of the messenger of the covenant coming, is to purify some and to judge others. He is against such things, it seems, permanently. He was against it in the law. You don't need to tell a Jew that God is against sorcery against adultery, against those who swear falsely. You say, I recognize that one. Some of, some of these are in the uh, Ten Commandments, right? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness. And we already knew that. The thing that is coming is not news about the ethics. The thing that is coming is the judgment. Remember to look at these things, sorcery, adultery, swearing falsely, oppressing the hireling, that's a nice word for you guys, you know, as employees, oppressing the employees in his wages and suggesting the widow and the orphan also get oppressed in the same way against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now, all of these things, <clears throat> they're, they're different. I mean, obviously, sorcery. And I, I think we're talking about real sorcery here. We're not talking about some chubby, you know, neckbeard in, in, in uh, some place who is playing with a pentagram and a Ouija board or uh, thinks he's Wicca or something like that. 
because he wants to go to Stonehenge someday on the solstice. No, we're talking about sorcerers. People who, through dark arts, are attempting to speak to the dead, necromance. Adultery. So that's not even related. Sorcery and adultery. What's... Why does someone do a sorcery? We understand why they do adultery. Swearing falsely. That isn't even connected. Why... But we know, we've watched current culture and committees and people being drawn up to be witnesses in front of them, lying through their teeth, bearing false witness. I guess they've sent a recommendation to the Justice Department that, that Julie Swetnick be prosecuted for her perjury or her false testimony. It happens. People do it. People try to get something. Why would you go lie to a judge? Why would you lie to a judge? I mean, Brian probably knows. They, they, they want to have actually their life their way, and they're prepared to massage the truth to get life their way. That's why you're not being faithful to your spouse. That is why you're a sorcerer. That is why you oppress your employee. This is why you, who would oppress a widow and an orphan? Well, just about anybody who had the opportunity. Because they can't defend themselves. You can have your way with a widow and an orphan. The sojourners, you can even not even think about them. That somebody coming through a stranger in your town, we're not just talking about, oh, multicultural stranger from another third world country whose skin is a different tone than mine. That's popular uh, sojourning, basically. It could be some German who's visiting the States on an educational visa. Are you ready to be... Not, well, not thrusting them aside. Whatever it is, the, it wraps it up and says, and do not fear me. They are uh, doing these things. I'm against them, and they do not fear me. And that's precisely what it is. As soon as the fear of the Lord is absent, not only is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom, the absence of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of stupid. But stupid, stupid, is uh, that moment, have you ever talked to your children at a certain point, what, how do you think we ought to do this? You have to ask the children at the dinner table when they're five or something. And you, they have interesting measures of physics and truth and what'll work. Well, how do you want to get to Disneyland? How do you want to pay for Disneyland? How do you want to do this, that, or the other thing? They're not real bright, and none of us are. When we don't fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, this beginning of stupid leaves us to our own devices where we try to build a true narrative for myself in this world where I can work the spirituality, the magic of it, I can get my pleasures as I want, I can get my goods the way I want them and as much as I want them. I can tell a different story than that which is true to get ahead in life. All these things are just expressions of the self. 
There are privileges that you think you have in your world. God's not that way. Now, God is against, obviously, this behavior. But then he says something interesting in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. That sounds like it's got some meat coming on this. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Hold it. You can see right after that, I'm against this, I'm against that, I'm against this. You don't fear me, says the Lord. I, the Lord, do not change. This is always wrong forever. Amen. And you're going to be beat up for it. I'm going to punish you. Now, that's all true. He is. But he didn't choose this moment to say it. He chose this moment to say there's more than my opinion about sorcery, adultery, lying. There's more. From the days of your fathers, verse 7, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Yeah, we got that, but why did you just say, I don't change, therefore you're not destroyed? Because something else is true about God. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. We have to always remember that not only is God holy, good, he is wholly merciful. That doesn't mean he's always going to lay. He's not like an indulgent parent merciful. And the mercy of the parent who is an indulgent one is really too afraid of the child to impose any kind of punishment. It's not mercy. The child's in charge. A merciful parent is one... Uh, by the way, if you visit our house, and I don't know what you think of spanking, but we spanked our kids. And those we know spank their kids when they come over. I don't know why they bring their disobedient little rascals over to my house and then say, I'll show the pastor how disciplined I can be. But we, they broke, they've taken various of our spatulas out of the kitchen. And you want, using your cooking utensils to go paddle their kids' rear end. And you don't know how many of the... You know, they wash them or whatever. So Leslie finally donated a few, and they're on the, on the ledge there by the bathroom where they usually go, and I think one says spanking, attitude adjuster, and one says for pain. It has a, it's a wooden spoon with a hole in the middle, you know. So we did. We know what... Discipline is like. We know what judgment is like. We know what kids being disobedient are like. And we know what mercy is like. Mercy is you setting aside. Mercy is you setting aside the judgment that was coming. God sets aside. He says, I don't change. You return to me. I will return to you. It's amazing how good God can be and how merciful God can be. And then in the middle of history, he sends his son of the covenant to man. Those were connects, weren't they? He sends his son to die for your sins 
and bring about this purification and this judgment and what he's against and setting all this up and be an expression of his mercy, right? This is the great thing of Christ is the expression of God's mercy. And no matter how much you explain it to some children who are being a little pills, they, they can't imagine doing it your way, no matter how good doing it your way can possibly be made to be. But you say, how shall we return? There's a certain you know, part of the problem with what God is doing in history. He's brought about his messenger, his covenant, to purify, to judge, to have mercy. Why isn't the whole world saved? I mean, my goodness, it's, it's a great message of setting aside the guilt you have for your sins. Life eternal. Peace with God. Why don't they want it? They can make it sound like it's just too hard. I'm just, I don't know, just too hard. How shall we return? Now, Malachi then slips into the thing I warned you about. Okay, the guests here could say, I hope he doesn't do really anything on the tithe. Really, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You say, how are we robbing thee? In your tithes and offerings. I do have to read it, okay? I'm not going to talk about it, but I do have to read it. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you an overflowing blessing, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. You can see how that just builds a sermon on tithing right there. You get the promised people stuff and God. I don't believe in the tithe, okay? I just don't. You may. Knock yourself out. I don't. I don't believe I'm a Christian. I'm a Gentile. I'm not under the law, including the tithe law. I do believe Christians should be generous. I do believe the Christians should be big-hearted. I believe the Christians should be supporting the work of the, of the ministry. But not because there's a 10% tax put on you. But that's aside from the point. What do I do as a Christian with this? What do I, what happens? What stands in our way a degree of devotion? It really was a degree of budgetary devotion, right? It's like uh, you're putting, you got your cash, you cast your check, you and the wife are sitting there and you're putting things in envelopes, because I hear people do that and 10% in the tithing envelope. Whatever you do. How do you hold back? Malachi comes up with this. This is how you hold back. This is where, since money answers everything, right? Says in Ecclesiastes. It's a medium of exchange. It represents everything in this world. You can monetize everything in this world. And you know that that dollar, that $5, that $20, could mean something else, McDonald's. So it's a good place to look at in your life, what do I do with my money? 
But also, what do you do? You could be thinking about, what do I do with my time, my conversation, my mind? You may agree with me that the tithe is no longer incumbent on the believer. You may not. In some sort of thing, when he says, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Do you really think that you can have a pretense of a religion that is faithful towards God, but is still serving the self in a nicely arranged way? You might not be a sorcerer, an adulterer, a liar, an oppressor, but you're still running your good life your way because it's you. Is that also in the first part of Malachi? Um, when it's in chapter 2, when it talks about them giving sacrifices to God of the maimed of their flock rather than the best. They're doing the religious thing. They're showing up for Bible study. They're doing the right thing. They're talking theology with you. But they're only doing it at a level that robs God of something because self still is designing the narrative of your life. And we wonder, why isn't Christianity more powerful in me, in us? Verse 13, your words have been stout against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, how have we spoken against thee? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is good of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? Henceforth, we deem the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but when they put God to the test, they escape. How come we're not remarkably the blessed people on earth? There are people, since they're constantly thinking about self in all of this, what you have to be purified of, basic purification, what you have to be refined of is this basic issue of self. Not saying you are a sorcerer, but a sorcerer is just like you. It's my, I've mentioned this before in church, but the theodicy problem, when, when people say, how come God lets bad things happen, or bad, bad, bad people do things? I said, because of you, because you're bad. And since you think you should be allowed to be bad, you've got to grant everybody else the right to be bad. You're the problem. You're just awful. Because you want to live with your girlfriend, Hitler gets to kill six million Jews because you want to live with your girlfriend because he has the right to do what he wants to do. What are you going to become, a little god of your earth too? Not only selfish and living with your girlfriend, but going to be uh, telling other people how they get to be ethical too? We need in this covenant with God to bow the knee. That's it. I mean, it's, it, you, you, until we serve God, until we repent of me, Evan has to repent of Evan. I can't repent for the sins of the nation. I can't repent for how bad it is getting on the streets. I can only repent for what Evan has done, and Evan did it because Evan was big on Evan. And you're doing it, insert your name here. You're designing maybe even a churchianity, a kind of participation that makes you look far better than the sorcerers, but you're still doing it as part of a self that you're designing, 
not a God that you're serving. And at this point, this is one of the things, and there's much more in this passage, but, I, but I, as I read through this this morning, and I got to these people who are given Malachi grief. Okay, how do you do that? Oh, okay, what's, what's up with this? Why does not a God accept my this? Why does God not accept my that? Why is he nice to the bad people? You ever talk to Christians who are always full of doubts and questions? And it's almost like if you answered one, they'd bring up another. They don't go, thank you. Thank you, I'm so relieved. I, I really feel blessed by your, boy, that's great to have that off my back. Really, as they're looking for another question as rapidly as they can, because they're this sort of people. And at some point, I'm done, right? I don't know if you got you, but at some point, I've had it with Christians, we'll put them in quotes, who are constantly fighting off the work of the messenger of the covenant. The work he has tried to do in Christianity, which is purify his people, judge the wicked, have mercy on those who turn to him, and everybody else is dropping a foot back and getting in defensive posture and coming up with another question of why they don't have to do this. And God says, I had to do this. Well, what if I have to, what if this happened, Evan? What if he punched me twice. Shut up. I'm done with you. Not because there isn't an answer, because I don't want to answer it. Look what he does here in the passage. Right after this excuse making, well, he's not, be bad. he's not judging the wicked. If he judged the wicked, you wouldn't like that. Verse 16 just changes the subject as if God just went, done, out of here. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord heeded and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and thought on his name. He just, he just he says, I don't want to be around these anymore. I want to be around these, the people who think on his name and talk to one another. Think on his name and fear him and pray to him, and he answers them. And then he says, okay, what a great group. I'm going to put a book of remembrance about these people. They're going to be remembered by God. Just like a five-year-old who's trying to plan the family vacation. You see people in the news. Well, I kind of think we ought to, everybody ought to get a guaranteed annual income. Are you out of your mind? But I'd really like that, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have to look for a job. You'd just get paid. You wouldn't have to do anything. You would just get money. What kind of world do you live in? What kind of, we dropped on your head? Are you a bag of, you know, well, there's insults that you can throw around. I have here on the sides, do you want to live in a geodesic dome too, Skippy? I give that as a personal insult because I always planned to live in a geodesic dome. I used to design them with my girlfriend prior to Leslie, and I used to design the geodesic dome, my Bucks, Buckminster Fuller moments. And I, after a certain point, I began to realize, you know, the walls are round on the inside. That's going to be difficult to hang anything. They don't make round furniture. 
hassocks. Maybe hassocks. Do you realize you, you do know that you're an idiot, right? You do know that. Hand you the, you win the lottery, the 1.6 billion, your eyes widen, and then you just, you might as well just, you know, pull out a gun and shoot yourself in the foot. Because that's what's going to happen. We don't, some of us are smarter than others. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. We're going to start a business, do some good things for the town. But our idea of how life should be would be some kind of fresh hell that you introduce to history. We are not God. We did not make this. He knows how it works. Those who fear him and spoke with one another because they feared him. What a refreshing thing. That's where the religion is going. That's where, that's where the uh, um, heart of God in this. He says, I came as a messenger to a covenant to purify, and their purification should have this effect, that they are these people who fear him and speak with one another, pray to him, knowing they're going to be heard or remembered by him. I'm grateful for this body. I'm grateful for the conversations I get together with during the week, and I'm grateful that people, some of you are getting together for fellowship groups and Bible studies, and just it's encouraging. I like to see it. I want you to know, to the degree that is happening in your life, is what God is trying to do since the beginning of Christianity. Find people who fear him, who will be purified by his coming, who judge things as he judges them, and, does, and you're not trying to build your own self-gain with the illusion of Christianity around it. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, my special possession on the day when I act. These kinds of people, this is what Christianity in describing it from on this axis, this work of God in history, trying to purify to this end, are you being that person? Fearing the Lord and speaking of him. Praying to the Lord and hearing, having him hear your prayers. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. It says in 1 John, he who does right is righteous. If you go through 1 John, you see things like, by this you will know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. By this you will know who loves God and who does not. Are they righteous? That's what this is about. Are we finding ourselves dropping off those little claims about what I want? You're just, you're petty. You might, I'm not a sorcerer, Evan, but you are a petty, annoyed individual. Rachel was telling me uh, yesterday about I won't go into it in any detail, but a, a person who was um, bothered by somebody else's religious practices, but wisdom in life, 
It's like, who put you in charge? I mean, they were bothered. You're not in charge of them. We, we really have little subtle places. Our self steps forward and says, shouldn't it be the way I want it? I was in a long email exchange with a guy about, you know, romance and courtship. And he's like, you're not in charge of this. This is not your business. We're always, our anger, our annoyance, our bitterness, our contention, our malice, all of it is because your little self got kicked in the shins. Why don't you let the Lord take over? Why don't you be purified as Christianity wishes to purify you so that you think of him and speak of him? Ask him. He's the, you're, you become the people he wants to be around, the people who are his special possession. And you'll be able to tell the difference. Right now it's so hard in Christian circles to tell the difference between Christians and non-Christians who are in church. This way you can tell. It features the right thing. Well, I don't know if I got started preaching early on this sermon or whether or not I just wrapped it up quickly, but boy, the clock is... Can I say some more stuff, turn to another pastor? You're fine. Okay. Well, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. You are good to us. If we return to you, you return to us. Lord, your standards are high, but the fear of you is a life and a joy. We'd ask that you would bring it into our lives. In your son's name, amen.